This podcast is brought to you by Humble the Poet, also known as Conwar Singh, the author of a new book entitled Unlearn, 101 Simple Truths for a Better Life, where in Greg's interview with Humble the Poet, they discuss some of the many life lessons that Humble the Poet is teaching to his readers. His advice is sound, practical, and important to apply to your daily life. One of the things they discuss are the challenges we have when our expectations don't match the picture of what we believe should manifest in our lives. How to not get caught into the expectation, but learn from our desires and the pain and suffering this can create. There are 101 great short one to two page chapters in Unlearn, which are filled with wisdom, advice, and opportunities to learn and grow. Please listen to podcast number 716 as they discuss Conwar Singh's new book, Unlearn. You can learn more about Conwar Singh, also known as Humble the Poet, by visiting his website at www.humblethepoet.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And today, joining me from Los Angeles is Rick Snyder. And Rick has a new Redwill Wiser career press book out called Decisive Intuition. Use your gut instincts to make smart business decisions. Good day to you, Rick. How's it Good going day. in LA? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, slightly foggy, but otherwise LA always has a certain sort of brilliance and buzz about it that, that shines through the fog. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and you spending a few minutes with um, our listeners around the world. And as I do every time, I thank the listeners, Rick, because after um, almost 14 years of doing this and 711 podcasts, I have so many people still following and people from all different platforms now because we're on seven platforms. So uh, it's great to have you on the show and it's great to finally do this interview because most of my listeners know that I have a passion for this topic as well, um, and that's because I wrote a book on it. Um, so, Rick, I'm going to let him know a little bit about you. He's the founder and CEO of Invisible Edge, an international consulting firm that builds high-performance environments in major, mid-size, and emerging businesses. He leads the Invisible Edge coaching and training companies and teams to build intuitive skills and translate them into business plans and company cultures that result in more effective communications. Um, Rick holds his master's in psychology and has previously worked in healthcare, tourism, travel, and training spacers. Um, he's launched four businesses and travels extensively between California and Europe for work and leisure uh, to help people access their intuitive skills for decision-making on a global scale. If you want to learn more about Rick, we're going to put the links in our blog, but you can go to www.invisible-edgellc.com. That's www.invisible-edgellc.com. Well, Rick, might as well start out right at the beginning. You know, you write in your introduction uh, that you received an intuitive message while you were in France to write the book. And you mentioned that you'd been residing in Oregon and that you've been counseling business owners and you believe some of your business owners had what you refer to as the invisible edge. 
Um, and obviously that invisible edge is that intuitive intuition. Can you explain what the edge is and how one evolves their business intuition? I mean, intuition is talked about in a lot of different areas in our life. Um, and in particular, some of the greatest uh, business leaders, uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett have all said, hey, intuition is how I make my best decisions. How do we get in touch with that, Rick? Yeah, it's a really rich question because um, so much, I think, I think intuition is our innate intelligence. It's something that's so natural to who we are. And yet what happens is we often get programmed as we get older of a lot of other belief systems and conditioning through growing up, through our media, through our culture, et cetera, our family systems, that so often we lose touch with that innate voice, that innate guidance and intelligence. And as you're mentioning, when you go as far back as even some of our greatest inventors, like Nikolai Tesla and Albert Einstein, even Aristotle was talking about intuition back in the day. And so as we know in our business landscape, most of our top entrepreneurs and leaders have made room for and listened to their deeper inner guidance, their intuition. People like you mentioned, like Steve Jobs, you know, Richard Branson, et cetera. And so that had me get curious. Plus, I've been in the business space for quite a while now, coaching leaders and teams around the world and noticing that the leaders that were more willing and making time for their intuitive intelligence and going slower and, and asking the question and tuning in and making room for that in their decision making were usually separating themselves from the pack and literally having an invisible edge over their competition because they had the courage to really listen deeply and follow into their, that intelligence and that, that, um, that higher level of innovation that's inside all of us. But they had, they had the courage to actually listen to it and actually take action on it that really separated them from others. And so that's what, that was one of the big inspirations in my book was starting to follow that through line of all these amazing leaders Plus, just in my own life, where the times where I've listened to my intuition and the times where I haven't, and you know the consequences or outcomes that followed. Yeah, it's a it's really quite a dynamic process, and uh, and I have a question about that. You know, intuition is not something that always, Rick, in my estimation, again, this is me speaking, and I wrote a book on this as well, downloads all at once. We get it in pieces, and sometimes we have to piece it together. Um, can you speak to this aspect of, you know, an opening we get or an understanding we get, we get a download, and then we get another download, and we get another download, and then we have to be intuitive enough to piece those downloads together. Do you experience it that way? Is that something that you teach in your courses? Or do you have a different take on that? Yeah, so it's a great question also. So um, my definition of intuition is very related to this. How I define it is a little bit different than what's out there traditionally. And so what I say is that intuition is an embodied knowing. So it's not just coming from our head, but it's using our whole bodily wisdom. So it's an embodied knowing that comes from listening to what wants to happen next. So I'm actually in that ongoing conversation throughout the day of, oh, what wants to happen next in this team meeting? What wants to happen next in this hiring interview that I have right now? 
or what wants to happen next in our business strategy or where the market's going. So you're actually asking the question and you're listening, you're receptive to your environment. So in that way, it's very much like what you're saying where you're listening to what are all the downloads that I'm getting throughout the day? And how do I stay more available and receptive throughout the day so that I can pick up on that data that's around me, whether that's coming from other people, whether that's coming from the environment at large or whatever it might be. And so on top of that, what I've noticed is intuition usually happens in one of two speeds. Sometimes it is lightning quick, like you get that flash of insight and inspiration of, oh, I need to shift careers or wow, this relationship is over and that's clear to me now. And so a lot, sometimes it is a flash, but sometimes as you're saying, it bubbles really slowly, almost like bubbling in molasses, where it's just like slowly rising. And that, that awareness and that deeper picture that I'm getting is starting to come to me in, in more, more clear shades of what, what's in front of me. And so sometimes it's very slow over the course of days, weeks, sometimes maybe even years. Mm -hmm. It can be. And uh, the evolution of our ideas and our innovation sometimes takes a while. And you state that intuition and critical thinking, which is something that you know, I think with the advent of so much information on the internet and Google anything, our critical thinking skills have diminished. And you say that the intuition and critical thinking are not adversaries. Um, how do you um, allow them to coexist in harmony with one another? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so basically what happens is most people, as I state there, seem to be on one side of the camp or the other where if I'm a logical, rational, if I identify as logical and rational, I think intuition is woo-woo, it's out there, I don't trust it, it, it's not dependable. And then if I'm on the intuitive camp, I also can judge the logical people as being too tight in their rigid box and they don't tap into their deeper creativity. And so what happens is most people judge the other side. And the sad part about that is we're not integrating the best of all sides of who we are and all parts of who we are. Because the truth is we get amazing uh, you know, downloads and what have you through our critical thinking uh, and we're able to work things out, but we also have that deeper intelligence that's innate to us. So my whole point of view is why not take the best of both worlds? And so we've literally developed processes where we will run executives and teams through that engages their critical thinking and their critical mind on whatever dilemma or challenge they're facing in their business right now. But then we also weave in the body, we weave in the intuition piece, and we literally will have them do a heart check and a gut check and a full body check on whatever issue they're facing right now. And it's amazing some of the results we're getting, even with the most hardcore engineers and scientists, which we've been bringing this a lot to recently, um, they're getting new ideas and epiphanies and intuitions that they had never had before because they're giving themselves more permission to engage all of them in the conversation. Well, it's great that you're having this um, impact on the engineer's mind, because I remember when I was doing my studies around this, um, that, you know, there's, a, there's this rational, um, scientific, mechanical element that is hard for them to dislodge from, you know. It's the reductionist theory. We need to re reduce this down. 
And um, I found that during my interviews, it was tough for many of them to let go of that, you know, mm-hmm. your and your book presents three foundational principles that are changing the landscape of business and human potential. Um, if you would briefly explain for our listeners what those three principles are. Yeah, the three main premises of my book are basically that intuition is innate to all of us. We all have access to it. Um, yes, some people might be a little more talented naturally than others, but if we, we all have the ability to practice and develop that skill, just like with a mu- musical instrument. Um, some of us might be more naturally musical than others, but if we practice every day, we're going to get better. So that's what we have found training people in developing their intuitive skills is that it's teachable also, so everyone can learn it, everyone has it. And then thirdly, companies that are actually implementing intuitive intelligence in their company cultures have a clear advantage over those that don't. And my prediction is just like when emotional intelligence came out 24 years ago with Daniel Goleman's book in 1995, that intuitive intelligence is gonna be the next nuance in in this business space that actually speaks even more in more subtle detail to our full potential. That's not just only involving emotional data, but all the ways that we take in information and that we have to be able to discern what's actually meaningful and relevant for us. Yeah. Now you defined intuition a few minutes ago for our listeners. And what are those, um, those in your estimation, um, the three dimensions of intuition, you clearly define it in the book. And I have to admit, I've never seen anybody do it that way before. So I think it'd be great for our listeners to know what you think those three dimensions of intuition are. You got it. And you know, you talked about downloads earlier. So I sometimes will get downloads when I'm in a creative space. So I remember sitting there in France in my room, looking at the Mediterranean in my front view. And I was literally getting a download of these three dimensions of intuition. And you're right. I've never heard anyone else talk about it this way. It just came to me naturally, and it's been a very effective tool teaching intuition to people. So in a really, if I go quick and dirty, basically it's intuition with yourself, intuition between self and other, and then intuition between you and the whole environment. Those are the three dimensions. And what I call them is the first one is directional intuition. So it's my inner direction. It's my inner, navi- I call it the navigator also. That's my nickname for it. And it's that little inner compass that we all have inside of us that's helping us make decisions. And research actually shows we make about 35,000 decisions per day. 35,000. So our ability to access our decision maker and that deeper intuitive guidance, that inner guidance system that we all have, imagine how profound and powerful that is if we're tuned into that deeper intelligence and core center in, in, within all of us. And so that's the navigator that's helping us make decisions like, oh, is this person a good hire for my company? and you're actually accessing that tool that you have. Is this relationship need something to flourish to the next level, et cetera, et cetera. The second dimension I call social intuition. Uh, and the nickname there is the vibe detector. So we have the navigator, the vibe detector, and this one is now more in- interpersonal. And so it's being able to read out the interpersonal dynamics in the space. So this applies everywhere in business. Like if I'm doing a sales call, if I'm doing an investment pitch, if I'm managing my team or leading an organization, it's my ability to tune into the social dynamics and all the intuitions with people and, and really getting at their underlying needs and what needs to happen next there. 
Mm -hmm. so that's the vibe detector. It's like I'm detecting the vibe of the, of the room, whether that's one-to-one -one or one-to-many. And then finally, the third one is between me and the whole environment, and I call that informational intuition, and also known as the integrator. So we've got the navigator, the vibe detector, and the integrator. And yes, one day I want to get t-shirts that say these. Um, but the integrator is the, the ability to actually take all the amounts of data around us and be able to get its succinct story. And what is the narrative that the data is telling us? And these are the people who are really great at numbers, at um, you know, day traders, uh, financial advisors, people who are really tuned into lots of information around them, and then being able to get at intuitively at what actually the numbers are telling them really quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's an amazing skill set. And so hopefully, if you're not talented in one of these, that's where it's great to have someone else in your business round that out for you who has those innate gifts. Well, I love the way you've taken this and created it into three dimensions. And as I had mentioned at the beginning of that question, they're just, I had never seen it that way. And for my listeners, he does a great job in the book of explaining those three dimensions of intuition. And I believe they're very, very accurate. Now, we all know that, you know, there's obstacles that get in the way and prevent us from making a connection with intuition. And most of that, I think you mentioned earlier, was just this fact of slowing down. You know, people that meditate and are mindful and are are doing a few more extra uh, steps during the day have this ability to at least get in touch with this intuition. But um, I think on the flip side of that coin is if you could tell our listeners, you know, what prevents them from gaining access to this intuition besides just slowing down because you have a list of six of them. Yeah, so I have a whole chapter on the obstacles. And so the number one obstacle is our rational conscious mind. And the reason is that our subconscious actually processes information so much faster than our conscious mind. So when we're in our logical linear thinking, intuition doesn't work that way. Intuition is not so predictable. It doesn't follow all the rules of our rational mind. And so we're actually limiting our full creativity and our innovative mindset if we're just locked into critical thinking and rational thinking. And so the trick is how do we get out of our conscious rational mind? So that's one of the biggest things we do with executives and teams is we literally find ways of disrupting their normal way of thinking so they can access their deeper intuitive subconscious. Um, and that allows them to get to answers faster, but also more integratedly and more holistically as well. So that's one of the biggest ones is your rational mind gets in the way of your deeper intelligence. Um, number two, busyness. <clears throat> we talked about slowing down. So we live in a culture, as we all know, that we're busier than we've ever been. And we're more inundated with information and entertainment and stimulation than ever in the history of humankind, as far as we know. <clears throat> so that makes it extra challenging in today's world to be able to tune into our inner signals and cues when we're bombarded by so many external signals and cues all the time. So we, that's a lot of the work that we do also is just get people to slow down and take a technology detox or a tech break during the day so that they can actually tune into what their intuitive system is telling them. Um, so busyness is a big factor that gets in our way. Uh, sometimes ego, ego can be a big one where you know, if I have my agenda and my willpower and I'm going to force something through, but intuitively, that's not what wants to happen in the environment. 
and it's not what's best for the whole ecosystem. But if I tune that out and I just stick with my willpower, that usually creates harm in the long run, even if I get some short-term wins. And so ego can be a big one when it's just about me, 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 and I'm not tuning into what wants to happen in the space. That's best for all. Um, another one is emotions can actually, emotions are interesting because intuition uses emotions sometimes to pick up data because you can feel out what's happening around you with people, et cetera. But emotions can also hijack intuition. So an example is if I have a lot of fear about something, I'm probably not coming from my more open and relaxed intuitive center. And I wouldn't trust my decision-making fully if I'm really hijacked by a lot of fear that I'm coming from the right place to make choices from. And so a big, strong emotions like fear, even overexcitement might cloud my deeper intuition also on that side. And so we've seen where huge emotional charges often can get in the way of that sometimes just quieter, non-dramatic intuition that we all have because intuition a lot of times doesn't have a lot of drama to it. It's very clear. It's like a clear bell. It's like, oh, I need to um, shift careers. Even though you might have a lot of emotions about that later, the actual intuition doesn't have a lot of drama to it. So emotions can also take us out of our intuitive center as well. Um, I think there's one more that I'm forgetting in this moment. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple, but I, it, it, okay. it's not... I think for our listeners, they get the idea. The point is, is that there are obstructions to you getting in touch with your intuition. And what I've found is what Rick has been speaking about is absolutely true. Um, and we're going to talk about one of those, which is, um, you know, it's the monkey mind. We'll, we'll speak mm -hmm. about that in a second. But you, you have a great story in the book. And you actually, throughout the book, tell exactly your story with other people's stories. And on your chapter, you don't find intuition. Your intuition finds you. You tell a story about Lisa and it's a yeah. pregnant girl. And you also then proceed to prescribe some exercises to help shift your perspective. Um, so your intuition can find you. If you would tell the listeners this great little story about Lisa and give the listeners some of those uh, exercise tips, if you would, that allow the intuition to find you. Yeah, so Lisa has an amazing story where she actually was trained as a therapist and a trauma, trauma-based therapist. So she knows a lot about the world of trauma and actually helping people through it. It turns out she had her own trauma. And so she was on date night with her husband before they were about to have their baby. I think uh, Avery, who is her daughter, was in her belly, I think at 29 weeks old. And they're driving down the highway in Denver, Colorado to Boulder to go on date night. And they get into a car accident and it's a hit and run where then the other guy takes off. And right away she started going into labor. And it's this really intense story where her bodily system got jarred and they were worried that the placenta might've uh, ripped to some degree. And so she's in the emergency room and there's all kinds of chaos and hecticness as you can imagine in an emergency room and she's just also in a state of trauma, I mean, naturally, and, and some panic and what have you, and shock. And the whole thing is basically she has to get connected to her child, but she's not able to because she is so in shock and trauma. And all the doctors around her are the quote-unquote authorities that are telling her what she needs to do. 
they literally strap her into the bed so she can't even move. And one thing, if you know about trauma, is that the body, you have to trust the wisdom of the body. And sometimes the body needs to move so you can actually work out that trauma and it doesn't get locked in even deeper. And she knew that, but there was a way where she just was not tapped into her own resources in that moment, understandably, because she's in shock. And so at some point, they're giving her these, um, they give her some kind of muscle relaxers to kind of reduce the contractions because they obviously don't want her to have a baby nap. That wouldn't be a great situation, obviously, given a premature child at 29 weeks. And so she, they basically said, you only have one more dose left. You have to either you know, like help your baby regulate inside of you and, and lower its heartbeat and what have you, or we're going to have to take her out. And so she was down to her last dose of meds uh, and muscle relaxers. And so she knew that she had to connect with her baby. And so in the middle of the night, she unstraps herself and she has this literal intuition to get up and stand up. And she's moving slowly in the room. You know, it's dark. It's like 2.30 in the morning. And she hears this intuition to dance. And she actually starts to dance with her baby. And, but really, it's about connecting to the rhythm of her child within her. And it's the first time she actually located her baby energetically and felt the two of them sync up and be on the same page. And at that point, the baby's nervous system started to relax. And Lisa's nervous system started to relax and they started to pair together and intuitively they were connected and she literally had that download dance, which seemed so out of the blue. And so she started to do that and found a way to sync up with her child. And eventually, you know, first thing in the morning, contractions start up again. And then she was able to, from there, connect with her baby and calm everything down. And the doctors were amazed because then she was able to take take herself out of the hospital without having to deliver the baby. And the baby was delivered um, in, you know, at, 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 at the right time. And what was also amazing is Lisa developed a play therapy, a type of therapy where um, practitioners and therapists are tuning into the child in the play therapy room and helping the nervous system sync up. So it's called synergetic play therapy. And literally this whole new kind of therapy was birthed out of her intuition that she was guided toward in working with her own inner newborn child. It's a great story. And it's a, it's an opportunity for people to learn that, you know, if you can get in touch, like she did at two 30 in the morning, um, you can change the, change the course and direction of something that could have turned out um, a lot more challenging. And she was able to make that connection. Plus she did, these exercises as well. Now, you speak about Slade. You and I were talking about Michael Gerber, the e-myth uh, guy who wrote all the books. It's down here in Carlsbad, and he has a salesman by the name of Slade. And in the story, you tell how Slade uses his intuition to guide his work in sales. Um, and I think, you know, obviously salespeople that use intuition, and you're working with people all the time when you're coaching people in businesses that are in sales and marketing uh, to get in touch with their intuition. How do we slow down to help us make this better connection um, with our prospective clients or customers or whatever we're doing? Because that is a true business application. And I don't believe there are many salespeople that have developed that intuitive skill. But if they did, they they would find out things might be a lot easier for them. 
Yeah, this is a really interesting piece here where I think the best salespeople are intuitive, but they just might not be conscious of that and they might not call it that. Um, but what's great is we've actually been decoding this. And so we can actually teach intuitive skills to salespeople, for example. And I've never seen this being taught out in the space. And so it's really giving salespeople a whole new tool um, that they can practice and get better at reading out what's happening with their prospect and being able to intuit what are the real underlying needs of the person that's in front of me? Not just what they're telling me, not what they're trying to sometimes uh, sell me, or maybe they're shy about sharing, or maybe they don't know what they need. And so how do, as a salesperson, do I get underneath that and connect with them on that deep level? So what you said in the beginning is important is the first step is you have to slow down. The, the trouble with salespeople is so often they're 10 steps ahead. And they're already thinking about the close or they're thinking about possible objections or what's next in the sales script. And they're actually not present with the person in front of them. And so when you're not present with the person in front of you, you're not picking up on all the signals and cues and body language and tone of voice and all the things that are happening in right now that's giving you all the information that you need and all the little pauses and the hesitations. And so we actually train salespeople to start slowing down enough to pick up on all that information because then you're in relationship and then you're in connection. And that's where the sale is made is when you build that relationship and that trust and you're not trying to get them to some other place, you know, right away, you're actually just being with them and building that kind of connection yeah. and rapport. And so yes. that's where the sale gets made. We're seeing incredible conversion rates increase because we're teaching salespeople basically how to get more present. Yeah. And it, and I think in the process or the sales cycle, uh, however you want to refer this, you know, it's been said so many times that um, you're not really there to sell. They are there to buy. Um, mm -hmm. Your job is to guide them through intuitively to the point where they want to purchase, you know, because whatever it is that you have solves a problem or, it helps them in some way. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Now, you tell a great story about Deborah in your chapter on your brain is wiser than your mind. Um, this is really a good story. And then it leads to you discussing the three brains, which are the head, the heart, and the gut. Um, can you tell Deborah's story and then a little bit about the three brains as they relate to intuition? Yeah, Deborah's story is really a, a um, great um, analogy and, and also a metaphor for all of us around the wisdom of the body and what happens when we don't listen to our body. And the idea is the body, once again, is picking up on everything in present time. We literally have neuroreceptors throughout our whole body in almost every cell. And so we're literally picking up on data around us all the time if we're tuned into our body. But if we're just in our head and we're thinking about the future, or re rehashing the past, we're not present once again. So Deborah's story, I'll make it really short here, and it goes into more detail in the book, of course, is she was ice climbing, and she didn't have a lot of experience ice climbing. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so Deborah was ice climbing, and she was uh, following up someone else on the rope. And this person, <coughs> excuse me, I have a little cough here. <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Get a little drink of water. <coughs> I 
Okay, maybe we could edit that part out. We will right. take that out. <laughs> okay, we'll take out the cough. <coughs> Sorry, I'll start over again here in a second. I had a little, I'm coming over. I'm recovering from a little cough here. Okay, we'll do part two here and take two. So, yep. Deborah was climbing on this ice and she didn't have a lot of experience doing that. And she's following up this other lead climber and she decides to give her authority away to this person, even though her body was screaming, hey, don't do it. Don't go up this ice wall. It's not, it's not safe. You don't have the experience. Whatever was there behind it, she just was getting a strong no. And there were several times during the climb where she got that no, but she overrode it every time. And how often have we all been in that situation um, where we had a clear no and we didn't listen to it? <clears throat> so she keeps climbing and eventually she gets this one part of the climb where she has to bring the rope to this guy and it's just kind of very dodgy, um, you know, uphill angle that she has to make and she falls. And she falls a considerable amount. And she's sliding all the way down and almost, it's not quite vertical, but it's very close to a vertical drop. And she eventually, her crampon catches on the ice, like I think it was a thousand feet down or whatever it was. And she spins around and she basically mangles her whole ankle and she actually loses her eye. <clears throat> and um, she, you know, survives and they get her off the mountain and what have you. But it's this amazing story that really has this powerful analogy uh, an allegory around sometimes literally we go blind when we're not coming from that deeper insight and intuition. We're not listening and honoring that deeper voice that we all have. We're almost like navigating through the world blind in a certain way. And so she says, you know, I was blind to honoring myself and taking care of myself. I was blind to really not honoring my inner intelligence and giving too much of my authority away to other people all the time. And so this really completely changed her life. And she became this amazing leader in the world of transpersonal psychology, started a department at Naropa University, was the dean, and has been an incredible therapist and leader and supervisor and teacher. And she's incredible. I, I know her. And so um, it's amazing to see how she has taken that moment in her life and really made, um, you know, made an incredible uh, transformation. Yeah, great story. And and relate that if you would, because you then discuss the brain, uh, or I should say the three brains, the head, the heart, and the gut. And yeah. um, I've heard that obviously many times. A lot of people use that analogy when dealing with defining your purpose in life. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it relates really well here to your intuition. Um, yeah, exactly. And the, re the reason is, once again, the body is what's happening in the present moment where we're picking up on everything. So these three brains, um, we have our gut brain, our heart brain, and of course the head brain. And we literally have um, 40,000 to 120,000 neurotransmitters in our heart. We literally have a heart intelligence. And um, I don't know if you've heard this story, this came out recently that um, someone, a heart transplant situation where someone donated their heart to a young girl and this, that person obviously passed away. But the young, the young girl was getting all of these nightmares and all these terrible dreams and of being murdered. And it turns out that the person who donated the heart was actually murdered. But check this out. The, the new girl, I mean, the girl who with the new heart 
was having the, the memories, gestures, and emotions of that old, um, the old host, the old body. And so it was so distinct in her dreams that the police were able to actually find the killer based on her uh, sharing of what of her account of what was happening. That they actually brought the uh, criminal to justice that way, the murderer. And so what this actually tells us, and this has been documented for a long time now, is the heart literally has intelligence. It, has, it stores memory. Um, and the same is true with our gut as well, that we have 500 million uh, neurotransmitters in our gut, neurons. And so that way we have the same functions as the head brain. And in fact, the gut, they say, is the oldest brain that we have. It's the first that develops in, our, in the embryo. And so it's our primordial gut response. It's our courage. It's the center of our survival and what we need. And so we've learned how to incorporate the gut, the heart, and the head in decision-making. And of course, every cell in the body has neurons. And so that's why getting into your body is so important and getting embodied is so critical, especially in today's world, where we have then access to our full antenna that's picking up on all the broadcasting around us. Yeah, and in, and I think the key there is you can't be oblivious to listening to the signs you're being given, um, like that was with Deborah in that case as well. And um, not to turn them off, but to take the proper steps necessary to address whatever it is. And I think that's the message being told. And you, I want to wrap our interview up here with the four components for asking for guidance, because that's really important here to develop this deeper relationship with our intuition and our inner compass. Um, can you discuss those, um, those, comp those four components for our listeners and how they would get in touch with them and, you know, make their intuition stronger and trust in it more and rely on it more to help them make major decisions in their life? All right, so yes, let's get into the whole core piece around asking for guidance. And this is where intuition becomes relational. Because yes, you might get your signals and cues, but if you're not asking for what wants to happen next or a, a dilemma that you're facing, you're not actually engaging this relationship. And so the first step is just getting that insight alone is not enough. That I might have an idea uh, of what I need, but insight is actually mental. That's the definition. That's the difference between insight and, and um, intuition is I get an insight, but it's usually first from an intuitive wave or a feeling or a sensation that comes first. And so it's great to have insight, but the idea is that that's not enough, that I need to get more related to um, what my intuition is telling me. And that's when you ask a question and you start to feel for a response and you're with that every day or every hour or whatever that takes until you start to get a piece of the puzzle that you're working toward. Another important step of um, activating your asking for guidance is around courage. And the idea is that this is scary. Like your intuition is not always going to be comfortable in leading you towards comfortable, you know, uh, you know, rainbows and pots of gold. Sometimes it's very scary where you're feeling led toward because it's outside your comfort zone and it's stretching you in a whole new way. And I usually find intuition is connected to our deeper purpose. And sometimes that purpose can be confronting or the very thing we're needing to learn. And so it takes a lot of courage to really ask the question and to also honor the answer and response, even if it doesn't make sense to us. 
Um, the third aspect then is actually a commitment that I'm committing to living a life that's, that's coming from my intuitive intelligence. So there's a great story in here of a very well-known entrepreneur who says, okay, for six months, I'm going to commit to every intuition that I have, no matter how crazy it seems. And so he literally had some amazing experiences and he was tested also of how, how committed are you really? And are you really going to stick with this? And there were some, you know, fearful moments for him, but he it really paid off in his commitment towards living from this deeper alignment. And then finally, the other the fourth aspect of asking for guidance is around adaptive leadership that the more we're in that conversation, the more adaptive we are because we're listening to nuances and changes in the moment. We're agile. We're not locked into our way of doing it. We're not locked into being right. And so we're more open and flexible because we're in that ongoing conversation with our, our inner guidance all the time. So those are four aspects of asking for guidance that really help not just business owners, but people just make better choices throughout the day. Well, and Rick, I think that uh, for anybody, intuition, um, while it we know what the word means or we have a, a perception of it, consciously, you know, if you really look at intuition and where it derives from, um, the question people would have is, you know, you and I, the neurons are firing on our brain. We're speaking to one another. I'm asking questions. Um, but really, there is still this ethereal, ethereal element associated with it. There's this spiritual element associated with it. And I think what people have to do is open up to that. And what you're giving people guidance in doing is permission to do that because it is something that I think a lot of people need permission to do to kind of let go. You know, um, we talked a little bit about that inner critic in the mind and uh, the one that comes up and tells you, no, you can't, or you're not enough or whatever it might be. And those are the kind of things that um, I'm not saying we ignore, as you mentioned in the book, they kind of become your ally. You say, hey, it's okay. I need to let go of you right now because I need to make some important decisions here and trust in something that's higher than that. That's that logical, sequential kind of mind. But um, you've done a phenomenal job of laying out uh, in your book what you're terming as decisive intuition, you know, using your gut instinct to make smart business decisions. And for my listeners, I want to direct you to Rick's website, which is invisible-edgellc.com forward slash book. There you can download a couple of chapters of the book if you'd like and read it. Uh, it will give you some insight into this. We'll put a link on that as well. Um, Rick also works with corporations in doing uh, workshops, and you can find more again at invisible-edge.ll, uh, or I should say individual-edge-llc.com. Rick, are there any parting words you'd like to leave with the listeners before we wrap up our interview here? Yeah, I think one of my favorite things is just trust yourself and listen to your body throughout the day. The body doesn't lie. Uh, the mind sometimes will lie and over-exaggerate or under or minimize our who we are and how we show up in the world, but the body doesn't lie. And so the more we can take time out, even if it's a five or 10 minute tech break for five or 10 minutes and just ask a question that we're facing and tune in and listen for a response and just be with that question, that really will be a game changer for you. And it's been changing my life 
and a lot of people that I know that are bringing this practice into their everyday life. Well, intuition is something that um, if you hone the skill, um, you can make better decisions. And I think that is really um, the crux of the book. And Rick, you've done a, a masterful job of explaining some of the things that get in the way, some of the things that we need to get in touch with um, to access intuition. And for all of you, uh, just go to Amazon. You'll see our link in the blog, Decisive Intuition by Rick Snyder. Rick, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with our listeners, um, guiding them to finding their intuition. It's been a blast, Greg. Thanks for having me here, and I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Ron Price and Stacey Enos, the authors of a new book entitled Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. Please listen to podcast number 713, where Ron and Stacy discuss a very compelling story where Emily, a career-driven 30-something with big ambitions, meets a retired CEO by the name of David, who becomes her mentor. Throughout the course of the book, David teaches Emily some very valuable lessons on how to develop leadership skills and navigate her role as a leader. Please listen to Greg's interview with Ron and Stacy about growing influence on podcast number 713. If you want more information about Growing Influence or Price Associates, please go to www.price-associates.com backslash growing influence. Thanks for listening.